So there's a couple things I learned today about the weekly havoc. One is that six-year-olds find it incredibly boring. Um, I'm basing that off my own market research with my own six-year-old who (laughs) was trapped in the room that I was recording this episode in, and he made no bones about telling me how boring he thought it all was uh, while he was forced to sit and listen to me uh, (laughs) do our roundtable discussion during the episode. Um, So that was one anomaly, was uh, having to keep him quiet and focused and not uh, disrupt the episode throughout. The other um, was we had Liz DeGrave on uh, which is something we'd want to do for a couple of weeks. And I was thrilled she could come on. Uh, she could only come on, come on for a part of the episode. So it was our first ever early departure on the Weekly Havoc, which in my mind, maybe conditioned from growing up in the 80s and 90s when people would walk out on Geraldo or Morton Downey Jr., I always thought would be a, a, a walkout where somebody would be so pissed off at me that they would just throw down their headset in disgust and storm away. And it wasn't that at all. Uh, she just had a prior commitment. Um, so she uh, very sweetly exits. Um, but it was while uh, Lana Duffy was talking and uh, Liz was uh, kind, too kind. She made no point of, she just kind of waved to us and then and then left. And so I, we couldn't, I couldn't properly uh, say goodbye to her on the show. Uh, really fun episode though. Um it, you know, both Lana Duffy and Liz DeGrave, uh, we'd wanted to have on for a while. And uh, Charlie and I had a really good time talking to them. It was an important episode. I think, uh, you know, we talked about purpose. What is our purpose? Where do we get purpose from? How do we find it uh, in the face of, you know, uh, when it gets degraded, when there's obstacles, when our, when our, our motivation kind of wanes? How do we recover our purpose? I think it's very apropos. This is Um, we just finished uh, Veterans Suicide Awareness Month in September. And, uh, you know, we're only two days removed from it. So obviously it was a uh, still on our minds. And I think uh, getting to the heart of what our purpose should be uh, helps root us in, helps root the, help to root this episode and uh, have, have this episode find purpose as it were. Um, but great discussion. I should also say uh, missed opportunity because uh, for Lana, Charlie, myself, and Liz to all be there, we had four CI human intelligence soldiers all on the show, and uh, we need to bring the band back together at some point and do a proper CI human focused show at some point where probably none of us could say anything and we just sit in silence for an hour. But still, it'll be fun. Uh, to actually bring us all together and actually have a talk shop uh, as much as we can. Anyway, uh, fun stuff. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one, though. And uh, great introduction for uh, those of you that haven't heard Lana and Liz talk before to hear them and what they have to say. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. All right. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is The Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in roundtable discussion with the staff, writers, and friends of Havoc Journal. Try to make a little order 
out of chaos. Lana Duffy graduated from Cornell University with a master's of engineering. She's a U.S. Army veteran. She was medically retired with a Purple Heart following combat tours in both OEF and OIF. And then she founded Pathfinder Labs, which was created to ease military veteran transitions back into civilian life. Lana, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. It's been, uh, I, I feel like it's been weeks in coming, but that might just be Charlie talking you up nonstop. So I'm glad we finally <laughs> followed through and we're able to get you on. Liz DeGrave was in the Army for 23 years. She was an Arabic interrogator. She was also a SEER instructor. She was with did time with third group and fifth group and retired out of the U.S. Embassy in Budapest, Hungary. She currently is a sixth grade teacher at Cranes Creek Middle School in Carthage, North Carolina. Thanks a million for being here, Liz. Thank you very much. And I should say, Liz is going to be leaving early today. So uh, she's that doesn't mean she's going to talk quickly, but it does mean that if we favor her a little bit, uh, more in the early part of the show. Everybody listening knows why. Um, and uh, we'll take advantage of her time as much as we can while she's here. And then, of course, we have Charlie Faint with us. Charlie, as everybody that listens regularly should know and be able to recite with me in unison. Charlie's an active duty Army intelligence officer. He's the deputy director of the Modern War Institute at West Point. He has previous assignments throughout special operations, including JSOC, seven deployments in addition to, in addition to operational tours in Egypt, the Philippines, and Korea, three master's degrees, currently a Ph.D. candidate, executive director of the Second Mission Foundation, and, of course, owner of the Havoc Journal. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> it's great to have you back, man. And uh, I told Charlie we owed him because he was standing right next to the table for our widely uh, discussed crossover episode with us and Project Sapient, and yet he somehow never made it onto the mic, even though he was right next to the table the whole time, and we couldn't get him on. So I'm glad we're getting Charlie on for this one. Not like it's Charlie's been starved of being able to talk on the show in the past, but I'm glad uh, we could at least do this now. So guys, today's subject is kind of a broad one. It's a lot of stuff for us to chew over, but it's generally on purpose. Where we get purpose from, what drives us, what motivates us. And the reason behind this, I'm going to give a little bit of backstory, is because um, right now uh, I've been talking with a lot of people that are deeply involved in the stuff in Afghanistan and trying to help people out over there, people running into fatigue, people gassing out, people, um, you know, just the, the, the tread is wearing off the tires quickly and people are exhausted. And obviously this happens to people – no matter what they're dealing with, but certainly that brought it to the forefront of my thought. And I thought, you know, this is one of those times where people have to reach, dig deep and find out what their purpose is and find out what is really worth my time. What's worth my effort. Why do I do what I do? Why do I get into the situations I get up into and is the juice worth the squeeze? So I want to talk to you guys about it because I think on today we're looking, we're talking with three people who have a very diverse amount of experience, both in the military and out of the military, and have made transitions, made big life-changing decisions that I think shows some degree of being able to, you know, some, some degree of having worked out an operating system for how you make decisions, how you ground yourself in purpose, and how you maintain that motivation. And I want to start, um, obviously, as I kind of forecast, I'm going to start with you, Liz, um, not just because 
of the time issue on your uh, on your part, but also because I want to dovetail this into something you did in May when you shot the docuseries Women in Combat. And I want to start with that. If you can talk a little bit just about what Women in Combat was about, and then um, I'm going to I want to segue that into a larger discussion on purpose and where we find it. So if you can just tell us a little bit about how you got attached to that docuseries and what that docuseries attempted to cover. So um, a lady that I know on Facebook whose husband was a warrant officer in fifth group, she sent me this flyer called Women in Combat, and it wanted was looking for females who wanted to talk about their experience downrange um, in the deployed environment. And I think a lot of people were very skeptical about coming forward because they didn't really know what the purpose was of the, the you know, what it was about. Are we just going to like talk about all of our, the issues we had while we were deployed or something like that. So I did, right. I reached out to Amy. Um, I noticed that she was in the Marine Corps um, and she took the early retirement of 15 years when that was still a thing. And um, I'm like, you know, what's your goal? What's your purpose? What are you trying to get across here? And she was like, well, you know, so many people ask me, like, why I never joined, like, combat arms and, you know, what? why didn't I stay now that women were allowed to go into, like, all the combat arms positions like Ranger and SF and Marine Force Recon, et cetera. And, um, you know, she got, she said she was just really frustrated that the general public didn't understand that, you know, you don't have to be an infantry, whatever, to be in combat. Like we have logisticians out there that are transporting, um, you know, everything, out in the field. I mean, we have medical personnel out there, sometimes attached to, you know, infantry units, but still we're setting up medical facilities in a combat zone and, you know, intelligence assets, you know, linguists, people who speak a foreign language out there interpreting on the battlefield. I mean, it's just not, you know, infantry and combat arms that are the ones that are um getting injured and everything so she wanted it's not the civil war right (laughs) yeah yeah right you know so she wanted to find some women who had stories and so she could get those stories out there so two the two main things that i spoke about was um on my first deployment to iraq i worked with a guy named Derek Rex, who's no longer with us today, but um, he and I worked together as the a CI human team. And there was a woman and child who um, were stuck in Baghdad. Their, her husband had gotten out before hostilities uh, started, and he became a naturalized U.S. citizen. So by default, the child was authorized the um, right to protection in a combat zone. So they came forward to whoever sees the airport. And within 72 hours, we had a rotator flight in there. And so because it was a woman, because it was a female child, Derek Rex was like, it's got to be you. You need to go. Um, so I was like, okay, I was only 85. I really didn't. I mean, so I went in there, you know, talked to them, told them, you know, what we were doing, what I was doing. I was going to look through all their stuff, making sure they didn't bring anything on the plane. And I was going to get them out of the country and then 
we were going to take him to an embassy where they were going to be repatriated with their, with his, you know, her husband and the, the little girl's dad. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there you go. There's one example of, you know, I'm not, com- I wasn't combat arms. I was an E5. It was my first deployment. You know, I was like probably 24 years old. So, yeah. um, you know, we took fire landing, but we were there to do a mission. That's what we did. Right. And, and Liz, let me. Sorry, let, let me do, let me just ask you. I mean, overall, what did you what did you take away by doing the docu series? At, at the end of it, like going back, reliving those experiences that obviously were had been years before. Yeah. Did you did was there any epiphanal moment? Did you did you have any takeaways or what was your what was your general? Uh, yeah, what was your takeaway from that whole experience? Yeah, like being a subject matter. All eight of us <laughs> did, and we like yeah. it, we some of those girls, that's the first time they ever talked about it. Because I I mean, there was two girls that medically retired before reaching 20 years. And then the, a couple of the other females, they were just like one or two tours and then out. So like they didn't do 20 years and stuff like that, but it was a while ago. And yeah, I mean, we, I saw people breaking down on camera and, you know, People, uh, one girl like left a baby and a, and a, and an older, um, like seven or eight year old and her and her husband were both active duty. And so it was like, you know, they would just tag out with each other. They both went at the same time and their, their parents had to take care of the kids. I mean, when I went to Afghanistan, I left a six month old and a two and a half year old with my mom. So, I mean, I get it. And you got to have all your stuff. You have to have all your ducks in a row for if something yeah. were to happen. So being subject matter, being having the camera put on you and being the center of attention, being able to talk about your story. Did, was there a sense of pride when you were finished? You're like, hey, goddamn, I did it. And I'm glad this got captured. Or was there a sense of, yeah, that was really a hell of a roller coaster ride. And I'm sure as hell glad that's over with. What, what was? How did you feel? After having that all expunged and that whole, that whole, yeah, or exhumed, probably, I should say. that whole ex- Probably both, you know, because I think when you're in the military, you don't really have a chance to digest everything that is going on until later, you know, and I've been retired for just over a year. I retired during COVID and um, had no retirement ceremony, was in a remote location of Europe, was very rough exit. And I, you know, but I had, you know, in this last year, I did have a lot of time to reflect on everything that I have done. And I would like to think that because of the things that I was doing, you know, in 2003, four, five, six, 11, 12, um, kind of opened the door for women to be able to do the things that they're doing now. Um, I don't, I mean, I never thought that I did anything really extraordinary. I feel like we're all there. We're one big family. We're there to do a job. That's how I felt. And so it was just about, you know, having the opportunities and just kind of being in the right place at the right time. So I, was grateful that the Derek Rex sent me on that mission. It was, you know, awesome. 
And Lana, obviously for you, um, you have a purple heart. (laughs) You were certainly a woman in combat. Um, Talk a little bit about that, about uh, what, you know, um, when you look back on your time in the military and on your combat service, um, how do you regard it? I mean, I imagine there's a degree of pride, but is there, what other feelings come up for you when you examine your service? Uh, let's, well, when I, when I fully examine my service and I am not sitting in therapy, um, Uh, you know, uh, but, um, uh, it's, I am, I am glad that I did what I did. Uh, especially I, uh, I went in with, I had already gotten my master's. I had a job and I quit my job and then enlisted, uh, like a, crazy person um, who does not particularly enjoy respect or money. Um, (laughs) And uh, I actually also was uh, an interrogator and human collector. So, you know, you got, you got yourself an Intel world over here on today's show, but um, no, it was, I wanted to, I, I knew, I knew what I was getting into uh, especially because, I mean, I was an engineer. I, I do my homework. I, I'm going to research what I'm getting into. And it was, there are things that I did that I am not super proud of uh, in terms of, but it was not, I mean, it's it's not like a, uh, me lie or mm-hmm. um, no, you know what? We'll we'll leave any contractors and, and current conflicts out of this. But uh, right, right, right. I got the yeah. um, but there and there are a lot of frustrations that come from it, and but it was something that I don't regret doing at all. I mean, I am an I'm now an amputee based on, because of the things that occurred 15 years ago now, 16. Oh boy. Um, and, but I don't, I don't regret any of it. I, I loved my job. I loved being able to know that when I went out there and talk to one of my sources or if I was uh, doing field interrogation or any of those things that I was enabling someone to get home that night or from the combat zone, someone else's, someone else's life was going to be changed by the things that I was doing and hopefully for the better naturally the people who were doing things that weren't so great over there to begin with, their lives might be changed a little bit for the worse, but you know what? You, uh, you probably deserve that. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah. So Charlie, you will, I think it's safe to say never be a woman in combat. Um, (laughs) there is zero chance of that happening. I, I, I think we can all agree. So, um, but for you, I want to then start the discussion of purpose. 
And just real quick, Charlie, as somebody that has that is actively doing five different projects at once at any given time, what gets you up in the morning? Well, it's I mean, the army gets me up in the morning, right? So I'm I'm still mm-hmm. in, so I don't really right. have much of a choice over it. But there's a lot of things that I'm interested in, and we've talked about it on the show many times, and you and I, Chris, have talked about it in person. Uh, I love helping vets. I love. Uh, doing what I can to help out our country. And right now I do that as you know, teaching at West Point. And I was thinking when we were talking about Lana, uh, how much what she's doing with Pathfinder kind of mirrors what we're doing with Second Mission, helping vets find their purpose after they get out. And listening to, to all three of you talk today just made me think of how important that is, with, uh, the, especially for folks that we might could have helped who aren't with us anymore. Um, and how we can do things for them. That's that's my mind main driver right yep. now is helping is helping out vets. And and I wasn't I, I wasn't and will not be a woman of combat, but I did serve in Iraq with Liz, so I'm gonna take some of her speech credit for, for that. <laughs> You're a woman but in combat by osmosis. By by proxy. Yeah, by by proxy. proximity. Yeah, yeah, proximity. Yeah. yeah, right. Um so Liz, let's talk about um obviously you've had a lot of life since your combat experiences. And you're just adjusting now to being a civilian full-time. Um, but let's start getting into what has been driving you. What drove you to join the military? What drove you to stay in for 23 years? And what gets you up now? Well, I really had no intention of joining the military. I had a friend who took the ASVAB, and she didn't want to go by herself, so I went with her. And I, I... I did better than she did. So the recruiter started calling me Um, and I went to private school. I mean, I was, I went to a private Catholic school, like everybody went to college, nobody joined the army. And so when I joined the army, like (laughs) my English and Latin teacher, who I still keep in touch with to say, they were like, if we had to like rank your graduating class, you would be the last one that we would have thought. So, um, but no, um, I went, I, I wanted to travel. I didn't want to stay in Ohio. I just didn't want to, I wanted to leave. I wanted to go see something else. So I picked an interrogator and the recruiter was like, okay, now you have to take this fictitious language test. That's going to that's gonna tell you, tell us how smart you are to learn a foreign language. And I'm like, well, I just took Latin for four years. So, so then I got Arabic and I was like, I struggled. I should have rolled. I didn't. Um, I ended up coming to Bragg. Um, I forced my command to let me go to Sear School first before I went to Airborne School. I was like, I'm not going to Airborne School before you send me to Sear School because I knew I could come back and be an instructor there, which is where I wanted to get my instructor time. I did not want to go to Fort Huachuca and be a drill sergeant there or and or and work on the platform because. And I really didn't want to after I'd been to Iraq because they teach you, like, when I went through in 99, it was still only eight weeks and two days. I'll date myself there. And all we did was tactical questioning. So, like, when I got to my third deployment with fifth group, I remember getting called from the three shop. And they were like, we want you to deploy with second battalion and run the interrogation facility. And I'm like, you want me, a female to deploy with a battalion 
and run the interrogation facility. I was like, I was counterintelligence at that point. I'm like, you realize like I have not done interrogation for years. They're like, yeah, but it's your secondary, so you can do it. And so I was like, when are we palletizing? And they're like, next week. And I'm like, great. So <laughs> let me go get my shit together, right? And so get on a plane. I recognize one dude I went through SEER school with. He was the medic on our team. And that was it. So I'm like, awesome. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> but I made E7 out of that deployment in under nine years. So, I mean, it was a success. And uh, yeah, I learned right. a lot. And I learned that, you know, uh, nothing in interrogation school prepared me for trying to interrogate an Iraqi. Um, but I did what I had to do. Um, and by that time, like, I mean, I didn't know what I was getting into cause I joined before nine 11. So, sure. I mean, I was in airborne school on nine 11 and I just looked at my mm -hmm. sergeant airborne. And I'm like, I am not coming back to this hellhole in Georgia. So you better throw me out of an airplane five times. Cause I'm not repeating this. And he just looked at me and he was like, what's your job? And I'm like, I'm an Arabic linguist. That's all you need to know. Like this is. Shit's about to get real. So, um, I mean, I had, I mean, I made E7 with less than 10 years. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm golden now. I'm, I'm going to just sit, ride it out. And I, up until about year 15, I pretty much got where I wanted to be. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I left group. I came back to brag. I was a SEER instructor. Um, I had two kids while I was here. I wanted to stay in the special operations community. So I slid over to third group because I knew a lot of um, the, like, so like all the fifth group chain of command are now here at SWIC t now. So like, they're like, yeah, I just go over to third group. And so I went to Afghanistan, came back, thought I was fenced still. And they put me on drill sergeant assignment. And I was like, no, I'm like a thing at this point. I'm a single parent with two young kids. I just been a SEER instructor. Like, I really want to go yell at kids and not be able to slap them. Right. No, not happening. <laughs> um, I've had a, I've, I have a skin. I get usually have some sort of skin cancer like every other year. And when our, the PA at third group, Doc Henry, when he found out I was on drill sergeant assignment, he's like, I'll just give you a two. For your skin, whatever that is on your, you know, I wasn't a one, 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 yeah, one yeah. anymore. And so that immediately deleted right. me. So then my branch was like, well, you're not saying I brag. So you can either go to Fort Huachuca or you can go to Hohenfels. So I was like, well, let's go, let's go see Europe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from there I signed, I got, um, I applied for the embassy position, got hungry. And then I was over 23 years by then. So it seems, so it, se it seems like a lot of that was, there was a lot of safety in being in the military, at least career-wise, financially. Like you had made, you had hit so many wickets at the right spot right. that it just made sense for you to ride that out, right? Yeah, and then like when I became a parent, <clears throat> I mean, I I never got promoted past E seven, and I was okay with that because uh, I had my kids, you know, and I I wanted to yeah. be with my kids, and I wanted to use the army to show my kids Europe because the army used yeah. me in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I wanted to take that time to yeah. take the opportunity. And my kids, they, they were like, where now in the United States, they're like, where are we? 
Like, can, can yeah. we go back? Yeah. Mom, we haven't been on a plane. <laughs> Mom, we haven't been on a plane for four months. What's the problem? So, gotcha. hopefully, well, hopefully. No, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you got one back on the army, and that's great. That's great. They got you a uh, they got you European vacation. Yeah, that's as it should be. Um, Lana, I want to ask you as somebody with a similar intelligence background, um, but who got out, let me first start. You kind of answered this initially, but I want to kind of underscore that what you said before you talked immediately about the purpose you had doing interrogation while you were in, um, how did you find that purpose then when you got out? Did you find, were you casting about initially? Did you find that there wasn't something that was as quick flash to bang with instant gratification? Or did you find, oh no, this is a natural segue. I'm getting back to what I always wanted to do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm picking up threads that I laid down when I joined the military and I haven't really missed a step. Oh yeah. No. Um, uh, the, I, I don't actually know anyone except for uh liars who got out and were like oh no this is totally fine i planned <laughs> everything 1000 percent accurately um because as we all know you know any plan is only good up until first contact anyway um i had the extra bonus that i didn't want to get out uh i was Medically, because when I was medically retired, I was uh, in um, uh, a special, like a, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, special operations, but it was, it's a unit that is um, off the army books for the intelligence community and for intelligence sure. collection. Uh, and I was a counterintelligence investigator and also, actually, my secondary job was also interrogator. Um, and we, uh, and I had not wanted to get out. I had just assessed into this career program, which was awesome. I had, my plan was, I, I did, I was seven and seven. So I made E7 uh, sometime during the middle of my seventh year. Um, and I which, you know, some of my old command was probably real surprised about that because uh, <laughs> I was I was super fun as a junior enlisted. But the the whole, uh, I, I had this whole thing laid out. I was going to, I put myself on the OML, on the order of merit list to get myself into that deployment, yeah. to, the, to the next upcoming deployment. And as soon as I got back from that deployment, I was going to... Uh, go to warrant officer school mm -hmm. um, because as Liz alluded to uh, once you hit seven in either of the two human fields, there's like two E8 slots a year right. and you're, 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 you're stuck. And as I, so I went into the doctor's office to get, because by then I had already been blown up. I had a severe traumatic brain injury. It had brain surgery uh, at old school Walter Reed, uh, slightly before they cleaned out all the asbestos at least. And then we, um, 
and and the doctor one of the one of the doctors looks at me and was like hey i know that all you want me to do because you're not on big army books all you need me to do is sign this memo saying you're good to deploy mm-hmm. but uh not only am i not going to sign that memo i have to med i have to recommend you for med board uh, so I asked if I could just back out of the room slowly and pretend oh. I was never there, yeah. which yeah. apparently you can't do. Um, he showed me in his, he showed me in, he had to show me in the regulation where it said that he had to medically, he had to recommend the med board. Oh. And, uh, my unit freaked out a little bit and sent me from, uh, they, the PCS, they were like, oh no, what do we do with the med board? We're like this super special unit that never gets right. a med board. Right. So uh, they were like, we're going to send you back to headquarters, back out in Maryland. And they did that. They PCS me from Hawaii to Maryland in like February. Uh-huh. And Beautiful. I was super mad. <laughs> uh, I was like, you couldn't wait until like spring? <laughs> Come on. Um so, uh, so yeah, I was a little, uh, I was a little bitter about the whole thing because I didn't want to get out. And by the time I did get out, I had 10 years in, I was, uh, everybody thought like, oh, well, you're also an engineer and you know, I have all this great experience. Yeah. Right. And I was like, yeah, my engineering degree is 10 years is more than 10 years old now. Right. Like. They they have things called like the Wi-Fi's now. Like I don't even right. uh, like the coding languages that I learned. Nobody uses anymore. That's wow. It's, it's not helpful. So yeah. um, yeah, it was. I bounced around nonstop. I was angry at everything. I was frustrated with everyone. Um, I, uh, I definitely went through a, uh, several periods of just not, uh, not necessarily suicidal, but apathetic as to whether or not I was gonna, uh, you know, like if I, I, I live in Manhattan and, you know, like if I walked out and the M15 bus was coming, coming down second Avenue and happened to hit me today. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I, it was, it was very, very tough. And a lot of that was just kind of this lack of purpose and lack of way to really contribute back to any community and uh it's actually where when i when i started the concept of of pathfinder which is the company i now run it was because i was starting to run into so many other people who were in this space just years later just still trying to figure out where they fit right with everything and, um, you know, and so we, we were like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could find all of the available services and benefits and resources online and, and 
uh, now they have this series of tubes we call the internets. And um, so that was, uh, that was really what drove me to, to do it. And then in doing that, I really found my purpose. It was because I needed to give something back to everyone else and be able to come up with this way that we could recommend things to each other, even if we never knew each other or never met each other. How are we going to recommend things and share our experiences and feel like we're not as alone? Yeah. 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 Let me drill into that a little bit. So is it fair to say that you kind of faked it till you made it? That it was like, hey, you know something? I got to put one foot in front of the other. You're not, you weren't sitting there necessarily thinking, I need to find my grand life purpose, but you're just going, well, here's a 50 meter target that I can address. And let me get into that. And then, and then when the, everything started clicking there, then it started to trigger into your purpose. Is that, is that a fair uh, assessment or am I missing yeah. something? Yeah. Every day was, uh, was one foot in front of the other. I'm, uh, I, have also I've, even since I was while I was still in I started uh, doing mountaineering like long term like long treks and summits and stuff like that and it's just uh, so it's kind of this okay if I can make it to the next rock if I can make it mm, up yeah. this incline I'll I'll be able to take take a breath yeah and so it's just getting to that next spot and that was definitely how. I approached and I mean, to be honest, still approach a lot of, a lot of days. It's just, um, it's because I, I don't know that, uh, I, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely much more okay with it now. Um, but the, the whole concept is, is just getting, Get, getting through it and being able to figure out what you need to do to get get to tomorrow. And yeah, I, w- I wasn't looking to, you know, start a, start a web platform oh, right. and, and you, know, right. you know, build all this stuff. It was like, yo, let's, let's like try to consolidate some information and ask people what they think. Right. And it just, was and just problem solve. And then that starts to lead yeah. you to something bigger. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, I guess, let me ask, uh, let me go one step further. Can you act, can a person that is finding themselves aimless, driftless, apathetic, like you described, whether for the same reasons or different reasons, can they manufacture a purpose? How much does that need to be central to the core of your being? Can you just arbitrarily manufacture something to say, look, I'm I'm just throwing a dart at a board and I'm going to go with this until I can figure out if if this is the right path or not and if it's not maybe this will all fall apart and I'll you know adapt and overcome as that becomes necessary but I got to do something and I and let me just artificially manufacture one if need be is that doable in your opinion I think that's I I mean it's it's doable because it's uh definitely what I did I am uh I'm still an and uh, I have a very engineer mindset of, of um, kind of trial and error. Uh, you know, 
I'd spent a lot of time in college, like doing things like bouncing steel ball bearings off of metal plates. Like it, it's repetition is the world of lab science mm-hmm. and a lot of engineering. Um, it's actually why I switched majors, but the uh, <laughs> to a different type of engineering, fewer ball bearings. But the um, the whole the whole concept of trial and error and if I walk into this place and it doesn't feel like it fits, I have this mental thing of like, okay, this didn't work, but I know that there's five other things that I can try that are similar. And so I'm going to go give it a shot. And I think what was scariest to me is meeting people who they just didn't have that capacity anymore they would walk into somewhere and Mm -hmm. if like the person sitting at the front desk was having a bad day themselves and kind of rude um you know oh does that ever happen at the va who knew um (laughs) but the uh if it if it was hard to get an appointment or if it was if it took too long or something they would just be like oh i guess all of mental health is just not for me, or I guess all of this is just not for me. And, you know, whatever, uh, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to deal with it again. And they just wouldn't seek the next thing. They wouldn't seek that next step. They would just assume like, okay, this is just completely the wrong path. I need to go back to that other fork in the road and go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, that was actually that was what was scariest to me, and that's uh, how I've lost some of my uh, some of my other friends from various parts of the military, and even my veteran life is just the inability. Um, it's not necessarily an unwillingness to find something else. There's just some aspects where. Uh, it's it almost becomes an inability to continue to look and um, that was the real problem that I wanted to solve and um, because I feel like once uh, once I'm able to solve that that let's we want every like if you had every experience that someone went through to be, if not positive, at least not entirely yeah. negative. That yeah. first time that they walk in, yeah, that is life changing. Yeah, but how do we find that? And so, so let, let I me. I think ask there you, is fake it till you make it, though. Yeah, but, and and it, well, actually, what you're talking about, um, and Charlie, I'm sorry, I'm going to come to you in one sec, but uh, let me stay on Lana for one, for one minute more. Um, Lana, do you believe in signs? And and I ask that because uh, I'll give you a little bit of context so you can think about what your answer is. Um, in the meantime, I say that because a lot of times uh, I can envision people that would walk into a VA, have a bad experience, first thirty seconds don't go the way you wanted to, and there is a certain kind of person, and I think it's not endemic to the, uh, not intrinsic to the person, but to a society that kind of talks this way, where they say, you know, it's a sign, you just shouldn't be going there. And a lot of times people like to, I, 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 and I'm saying, I'm, I'm, 
I'm saying this as though I don't agree with it, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I think there's a danger, in my opinion, when people automatically take everything as a sign that, yeah, this isn't worth it, or yeah, this is the right decision. And because if your life is is guided purely by signs and by intuiting what the sign is that you should be taking from each interaction, it eliminates the beauty and the necessity of grit of just pursuing something and being dogged and staying after something and then achieving success because a lot of great things have happened when people said, there's no way you can do this and people bucked the signs. And I think a lot of times there's, there's kind of this faux Eastern theology that I think it seems like people, maybe it's just in my sphere, but people seem to, uh, I keep hearing about where people are like, Oh, you know, that's a sign. That's a sign. You shouldn't do that. So I've given my opinion and a little bit of my op-ed feelings on that. What do you think? Do you believe in signs that way? Or do you believe more in grit and personal determination? I believe in, uh, I believe that we, we make our own future and we make our own decisions and, I think that, yes, some things aren't meant to be, but I also think that there are, it's not a case of uh, the fates have to align. I'm not a fatalist. I'm not a, I'm not, um, uh, you know, like I, I, I have to be pretty drunk to get convinced to go to some sort of tarot reader or something like (laughs) that. Um, (laughs) Right. But uh it's more, I, I definitely believe in, in grit and resilience and uh, the science behind, well, why doesn't this fit? Why isn't this right? Because then there is something else that will. And uh, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people at this point that I've run into, everyone from Vietnam era to having just got out uh, like last year, who haven't filled out their VA paperwork or, or haven't applied for VA benefits at all because they're like, Oh no, I heard it's a nightmare. Right. Um, and you know, or, or, or experienced somewhat of a nightmare and finding and being able to convince them like, Hey, no, go find a, you know, talk to this organization, get some help doing it. And they don't even know that that's an option. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Charlie, for you, what, where is the line? Where's, where's the, what is the tipping point when grit needs to give way to wisdom? When uh, just running running into a brick wall needs to give way to maybe I walk around the wall or maybe this is a sign that this isn't the wall I need to be running into. Where's that tipping point for you? Well, I think that grit and perseverance are important, but I also think it's important to uh, not succumb to the sunk cost fallacy and to recognize when you're just reinforcing failure. So there's certain, you know, try, 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 but at certain some point maybe you, you try something else. So, like, I never made it to ranger school, uh, and I've stopped worrying about that a long time ago. So that was something I wanted to do when I was young. It's not important to me anymore. So as, I think as we age and mature and the situation changes, different things become more important to us. It's important to realize what those different things are and act on them and not, not dwell in the past. 
So I'll I'll push only because I'm I'm kind of interested if anybody's thought this through more than I have because um, I don't think I've thought it through that much. Do you think there's actually a defined tipping point? How would you advise somebody, or is it something that it's just a case by case scenario and you kind of have to look at it on its own merits with each individual person? I think everybody's different. Every situation is different, and the situation changes over time. So I I've loved the army. I've been in for 27 years, but as you know, Chris, I'm retiring in May. So it's time for me to go do something else. It's time for me to find my second mission. I'll probably be calling Lana here before too much longer and, and getting Pathfinder involved to help me with that. But the uh, there are so many things that were important to me over time, and I tell my children and anyone else that will listen that, that some of the best things that ever happened to me in life happened because I didn't get what I thought I wanted right at that moment. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't I don't dwell too much on it. I, I think that people get what they were. They deserve everything evens out in the end, and things happen for a reason, generally speaking. And I completely agree with Lon that we got to make our own luck. But I do think that sometimes there's something else out there that serendipity or luck or fate or whatever it is helps people who are ready. Uh, so you know, yeah. if you're out there listening to the audience, be as ready as you can for whatever you want to do because you never know what life's going to drop in your lap. Got to be ready for it. So, Lana, I want to ask you about one of your upcoming ventures that we're talking about before the show that kind of begs a lot more explanation, but I want to ask you about it in the context of purpose and in the context of, you know, you've been talking about your work you do with Pathfinder, you talked about your journey from the army to Pathfinder. This seems like a, um, maybe not a full pivot, but this is definitely a, a, a different muscle that this is exercising. Uh, tell me about the Antarctica trip and where where the hell you're getting this motivation from since, as you say, you don't even know how to cross-country ski, yet you're going deep into Antarctica. Yeah. So um, uh, I think as, uh, as previously established, I don't always think things through before saying <laughs> yes. Uh, sure, I'll do that. That sounds like it might be a terrible idea. Um, and uh, I'm a, I, I'm only a recent amputee, despite having been injured in 2005 uh, through the miracles of army medicine and uh, and so on. I didn't get my amputation done. They finally let me basically let me cut off my dead limb in 2019. So all of my previous expeditions up mountains and uh, uh, across ranges have all been on two people legs. And um, I was approached uh, last year sometime and someone actually he's a marine veteran who was like hey i want to i think that we should do this thing i've talked to an an explorer who wants to do this this last degree and he's got to finish his trek across across antarctica and he wants to do the last about 70 miles between the 89th parallel and the south pole he wants to do that with some vets Huh. Because it's uh, it's a whole mission of his to do, and uh, again, I'm I'm 
I've asked very few questions. And uh, so, so here we are. Uh, And then, I mean, COVID has stalled it, but. What was it What's Antarctica? That? Was it just hearing Antarctica? Is that what cinched it all for you? You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll whatever else you have to say is gravy. Antarctica sold me. You know, not even because I, I, I'm, I'm gonna be. Uh, I, I actually ended up. I'm, I'm gonna be teaching a, a leadership class on a boat to Antarctica, which is a much more comfortable way to see it. (laughs) To see Antarctica? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And like there's penguins that you can hang out with from the boat. There's no, apparently there's no, there's no anything down by the South Pole because it's it's too cold for the penguins. So. um, Not you. No. Uh, And actually someone else, uh, another army vet who has done this before, he's actually coming again, uh, said he was like, oh, yeah, no, when the when the plane, uh, the little the little skimmer drops you off at the 89th parallel and it takes off again and you're like, oh, wait, oh, no, I have made a horrible life choice right now. Um so, and I was like, oh no, but I felt that. <laughs> I felt that way multiple times during my life. I'm okay. Um, what, what, but, was the, what was uh, the vetting process? Sorry, what was the vetting process oh, for this? Like, what, uh, was it just you were asked or did they say, hey, we need to know, like, we're only looking for people that, you know, score, used to score 300s on their PT test when they were in? Like, what, what was there any sort of vetting or was it just we asked you? It was a, he, he had gotten, so, I have, uh, I have kind of gotten myself in in deep with the veteran community over the years, um, having gotten out in 2012, and so this person who was who came up with the idea, the Marine, he uh, he was actually asking around for recommendations, and apparently my name came up uh two or or two or three times from a few different folks and um i am assuming it was one of those like well you're looking for someone crazy who will probably still say yes (laughs) she's probably in but um yeah and I, i it's it's gonna be an undertaking and now they've you know they've got nat geo on board national geographic to try and get uh to send a, this poor poor guy with a video camera with us uh bless his heart um <laughs> and uh, because it's it's now several several army that or well not even just army uh there's several veterans going okay and it's this whole wacky thing and I am both looking forward to it and absolutely dreading it at the same time. Uh, but that is, yeah, that's, I, that's, I'm, I never back down. So, right. So, so when that skimmer takes off and you're suddenly there and it's, you know, all white and barren around you, do you, and I don't want, I'm not trying to make you overthink this, uh, before you get out there, but I'm just kind of curious, are you going to feel, on mission? Are you going to feel on purpose? Are you going to feel like, 
yeah, this sucks. This is tough. Holy, this is an oh shit moment. But this is just, this is on brand for who I am. Um, oh, it's definitely on brand. Actually, the, the last mountain that I climbed uh, was Aconcagua in South America. And I made it up to uh, 6,400 meters, about mm, less than 400 meters from the top on summit day. And I actually had food poisoning. And huh. um, so if you go, I'm sure that because of the climate there, it's probably still my Dinner from the night before is probably still frozen at 6,400 meters at this little plateau. But um, so you're all welcome for that. But put that on the uh, trail, on the guided map. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and over there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember like the uh, one or two nights, like a well, we're sitting up at that high camp, and I turned to my friend who I had climbed Mount Elbrus in Russia, the like ten years before almost. I turned to him and I was like, dude, we are too old for this. Like, I think I'm done with this, like, ridiculous nonsense. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, me too. And uh, I think he went to, like, Nepal, like, last year and, like, did some stuff there. And uh, he's Singaporean, so it's a little easier for him to get there. But uh -huh. um, and then I was like, yeah, I got you beat on the stupid because... Remember how I said I'm not going to do this like single mountain dumbness anymore? Yeah. Well, now I'm going to cross country <laughs> ski 70 miles in Antarctica. And I don't know how to cross country ski, nor do I know how to do it with uh, a metal fiberglass plastic thing sticking out of my leg. Um, so that's that's going to be a hoot. Uh, and it's well, so, also it's given the prosthetics though. guy. Uh, some fun because he's like oh, oh yeah. is all the metal gonna freeze let's yeah. figure this out oh man yeah that's what you want to be yeah you want to be the test case on that oh my lord yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a fun one yeah but it is funny it's funny how much life you have in you long after you think you're washed up and long after you think now nah, there's no way i can i can keep going charlie faint doing the norwegian foot march right thinking the same thing and, and doing that, just doing that 19 miles here at west point hurt my soul i can't imagine walking for days in antarctica so lana good luck with that uh, if we if we make it down to antarctica i'll send the cadets with you uh to carry your stuff i'll be at the hotel i'll wait for you guys to come back rad if if there's rad. a hotel is there a hotel in antarctica i don't even think there is a hotel in antarctica there, is there there's there's one so i'm I'm, really, one of the capstones I'm supervising is it involves Antarctica. So the cadets have already been doing research on it. And there's a little base at one of the, it's um, it's like um, Murdo Station or something like that. There's, there's yeah. actually people that live there like all year long, um, and and there's a little hotel and place like that for visitors. It's an actual yeah, hotel it's, it's with probably, actual flights. Yeah, wow. Okay. I, I assume it's probably at the base of Mount Vincent. Uh, um, the tallest peak in Antarctica, the, the, um, I'm, yeah, I'm blanking on the name of that base, but I know that that there's that base right there, but there's climbers to Vincent every year. So I would assume that they've got to, they've got to stay somewhere. Well, that or Airbnb, right? Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. I assume that the scientists at all the research stations are like, yo, I'll, I'll rent out my bunk for a little bit, but <laughs> right, get right. some extra cash. They may still be in it, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, they yeah. can certainly <laughs> rent it out. Um, it's nice and warm. their can of uh, yams with you or something, but yeah. <laughs> um, so guys, I want to, I want to finish up the, the, the piece, the, the purpose aspect of what we're talking about, but I want to make sure we, um, and I want to make sure we cover, you know, whatever plugs we, we want to put out there, but to kind of put a cap on what we're talking about with purpose, because again, I'm, I think all of us are thinking about people that maybe are feel like they're close to a breaking point. Um, and I want to emphasize that aspect of desperation or aimlessness or apathy where you feel you're at a breaking point, because I think whether it's the Antarctic trip and putting yourself through physical grinds or whether it's the hopelessness of walking into a VA and getting, you know, kind of a, a, a gruff, uh, you know, first experience there. Grit helps, but there is something powerful about realizing and acknowledging that you're never as washed up as you think you are. You're never at the end of the rope as much as you think you are. And a lot of times it seems to me, and I'm putting this out there for you guys to correct as you see fit. But for me, it seems like if you really think you're at a breaking point where things can't get you know much worse and you're just at the lowest ebb you could be at, that really is a manifestation of your own thought because physically and even practically, it's almost never as bad as you think it is because there is more life in you yet. There is many more journeys, many more mountains to climb and Antarctic, you know, uh, snows to ski across. But, uh, but if you decide that there isn't, if you decide this is all there is to it, then that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Charlie, am I right, wrong? What am I missing with that? Especially on a show like this, especially when you're dealing with Lana uh, and me, both of which run nonprofits to help vets find their second mission. There is more to life after you get out. There's always more you can do. I do think it's important to, to know your limits. Like Lana said, we're all getting older. And a lot of things that we could do when you're younger, it's, it's not only unwise, but it could be unhealthy to try to do some of these things that we used to do when you're younger. But there's always something you can do. And I would just offer, you know, anyone searching for a purpose, whether they're in the military or not, whether they they have something going on in life or not, find something positive to do. Just start with it. Even if it's not the right thing for you at the time, do something positive. Do it today. Wash your dishes, make your bed, something, something positive and take yeah. it from there. And Get a so, win. Yeah, exactly. And then take it from there. You'll feel better about yourself. I remember um, Admiral McRaven gave this great speech when, when he was taken over as president uh, of the, the University of um, Texas system about making your bed specifically and, yeah. and how that is helpful. So do something positive and see where your life leads because you got, you got more good years in you. That's, so go out there and do something. Yeah, and Lana, to, to just to refine Charlie's uh, point about this, he said, you know, we're all getting older. We can't always do what we did when we were younger. To be fair, you never took a cross-country ski trip when you were younger across Antarctica. So, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing it now. Because for all we know, you've got tons of this in you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the, the closest I've ever gotten was like my parents had a Nordic track in like the mid-80s or something. 
And, it's going to be a great uh, ad for them. If you make it across Antarctica, they're going to be like, you know, tracking I mean, is all you need to do Antarctica. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, uh, 30 some years ago, uh, I would get on it, uh, to play on it as a kid. And, uh, I think after that it became a, an elaborate clothes hanger for most of the family, but you know, like right. most fit home fitness equipment. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what home fitness is based um, on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I definitely agree, you know, like there's, there's always something else. There's always, uh, you know, um, I, uh, you know, I'm in my early forties, live alone with three cats. I, and as depressing as that is, at least, you know, like, but I still have to get up out of bed in the morning and feed the cats. Like yeah. people, this is one of the reasons why, uh, even non-service animals, but just pets are, are so helpful to people because they have something that's like, Hey, get up and feed me. Yeah. And that forces the person to get up and, and take care of something and do something and put some routine back in their life. And. Well, cause um, responsibility leads to thinking about others and, you know, taking the focus off yourself and get it and finding a purpose yeah. in that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's whatever, whatever ends up working for you is not, it may not be the same as for somebody else, but you know what? Like, and I'm huge on like therapy for all, um, like just finding that person who is an impartial observer who can help you figure out, uh, what's going on. Um, it's, I avoided therapy for so long after, I got out because I was just like, oh, no, I just have a brain injury. That's where yeah. it's all coming from. And uh, because of the stigma and the and the drama. And I mean, I've now been in therapy for like four or five years and just and every week I'm like, well, we need to add that to the list of huh. things to process later. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's just because life happens and but life happens to all of us and no matter what nobody is you're you're not the first person to go through something like this someone has been there before and they can help you figure out the next step that is a very fair point there's a lot more I would want to ask you about therapy and about how you've seen that, um, the value you've seen to that as a, as a yeah, I, I think that's an interesting, um, it's an interesting way that therapy, I think, intersects with the veteran community. I think um, because you're right, there are so many shared experiences in the veteran community. It's interesting. And I guess, let me ask this just because I, I feel like, it's on my mind too much to ignore. Do you feel that a civilian therapist can be, it can provide as much value uh, because they still are dealing with the same human emotions, human thoughts, human feelings, human interactions. Um, or do you think a therapist that has a, a, either a lot of experience in the veteran community or has been a veteran themselves is probably a better fit for most vets, in your opinion. In my opinion, I actually, pref 
uh, I didn't, and I didn't think that this would be true when I was first getting into it, but I actually have found that there are definitely aspects, especially within trauma therapy, uh, to there are great aspects to having a civilian uh, be my therapist. I've actually been my my two long term therapists, uh, both civilian, and um, and I'm in uh, like trauma and cognitive behavioral types of therapy because uh i don't i'm not one of those people who just like wants to go and talk about stuff i need to be able to act on it Mm, and mm um and you know not everyone goes through the same types of traumas um not everyone has gone before whatever but i i find that it's almost easier to talk about something especially from a combat experience or from a military experience because every now and then uh if if you feel like you're getting kind of too deep into it you can step back and be like oh i just use like an acronym like i have to like pull my brain back and Mm -hmm. i'll like stop and like explain something and it's almost like it resets me so that i'm not like so sucked in to to this uh world that my brain has put me back into that i can come back out and be like oh right won't necessarily so like to form a better picture let me explain how this worked yeah and then it's almost easier to get back into it and then talk about the actual trauma um and it almost allows you to do a bit of your own when you're doing it over and over because What's that? Sorry, it, it almost makes it allows you to do a little bit of your own analysis too, right? Because you pull back and then are like, "Well, let me explain what this is like." And then sometimes yeah. that I could see that possibly triggering something in you where you're like, "Oh, actually, this now starts exactly. to make sense." Because oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I would sit there and be like, "Oh, and then there's this, but then there's this policy." Oh wait, so maybe like that right. wasn't my fault. That was. Right. That was Mother Army telling me right. uh, that I had to do this. Like, huh? Okay, so like now I can now I don't have the guilt of that. Um, and uh, like, and it, it's so different from sitting there and swapping war stories with a friend. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I used to sit. I used to see that all the time. I was like, I don't need a therapist. I can just sit here and like. You know, I don't want to pay someone to be my friend or, you know, like right, whatever. Right. And but it's so different to have that person who's trained to be impartial and trained to be to help you look at what this is. You can't do that. I've I've been through uh, quite a few um, like, I mean, there was all the motivation and, and psychology training as part of my job but then even beyond that i went back to school for and focused in uh in psychology for quite a while and it's just uh it's amazing to be able to say like okay like i have to pull myself out of it they have to pull themselves out of it completely yeah Yeah. and and help you figure it out and there's no way that someone who's not trained can do that um, unless, of course, you are an interrogator and you're just sitting there being like, no, I totally understand why you put that bomb in the road. Like, I really get it. 
you needed $10. I understand. I'm really sorry that it blew me up too, but no, I get it, man. I'm, I get it. Right. Um, right. And that's like what a, that's what a, that's what a, a therapist will do. And it's, uh, and so it's relieving to be able to just talk to someone who's not going to judge you or give you an opinion or give you their story or their version of it and, um, and help you figure out what, what you need to do to move forward from it as opposed to just continuing to cycle through it in your brain. Stay in that loop. Yeah, that's right. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. Lon. I think a lot of people are going to get something from that. Um, I certainly did. That was, that's, very interesting. Tell me about the app now that Pathfinder has. Woo! We finally <laughs> launched an app. Um, one of my advisors uh, got retired as a lieutenant colonel, and I think he's been harping on me for the last like five years. You guys need an app. Um, and I was like, yeah, you also tell me to put all my presentations on a white background <laughs> so that, you know, it's easier to read. Like, come on, champ. Um, right. But, uh, but he is right on this end, um, especially because the app, uh, and I mean, I am manually loading a lot of our, we have like some four or 5,000 resources from across the country that are on the Pathfinder platform. And I'm now manually loading a lot of them into the app, but uh, it's, it's a way for people to not only be able to find something nearby or find uh, like integrating small businesses that want to provide offers to families and uh, to like a spouse or to the service member or veteran. But it's uh, it's also a way for them to easily be able to find uh, if uh, one of the organizations is doing an event this weekend or mm. if they want to um, or if somebody wants mm. to it just like uh, there are 10 different organizations that are offering free long-term therapy to military veterans in the New York city area. What are they and where are they? And can I get to one? And not only that, but then can I share that my experience and my opinion anonymously with other people in the New York city area so they can decide if it's going to be good for them. And um, because we have been getting the the feedback on the web platform for for the past few years about how it's helpful to be able to see these things, and now we just wanted to be able to push this information out. And yeah. the app's still in beta, and it's not everywhere yet, but it's we're already starting to see some of the some of the connections that are able to form from this and because it's, it's, uh, it's really what I was talking about before, like reminding people that they're not the first person to need a therapist. They're not the first person to need help getting their benefits processed. They're not the first person to need to find a a way to learn how to build their own business and All of these services are out there. Just that's great. And to put a compendium to together. It. Yeah, that's just huge. And we'll put the links obviously in the show notes, but that's going to be 
um, at pathfinder.vet, right? Yes, pathfinder.vet and on the uh, and the app is you can search either Pathfinder Veterans or Pathfinder Community. Um, And if you come on from somewhere more remote, you can let me know and I'll try to populate what I've got from your area. Uh, Just bear with me because it's a slow and arduous process to manually upload these things. Well, you guys are, are putting together an awful lot of information. I can't even imagine the amount of moving parts you have to coordinate to get all that done. Um, but very cool. And again, those will all be in the show notes for people to click on and, um, and find Charlie, what's going on with second mission. He's the author of our second book, the armor of God. So we went over some corrections on that from the artists, from the uh, writer's proof. And now we're going to, we're going to turn that one out. We got four or five more books going. Wow. I'm getting ready to retire, as you know, and looking forward to working with folks like you and Lana and Liz on the way forward for our organizations, the ways we can help vets. So that's kind of what I'm focused on right now, Chris. Outstanding. Okay, guys, Lana, Charlie, obviously Liz has left. I'm sorry. I, you know, let me, let me back up for a second. Cause that, that was kind of an unceremonious exit. Liz was incredibly sweet. She did not interrupt Alana while she was talking and she just kind of waved to all of us and said goodbye. And so for those listening, they're waiting for Liz to chime back in. I told you she was going to leave. You would have thought that I as a decent host would have acknowledged that she left and I didn't, but she did leave. But anyway, guys, thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. And this was fun. Thanks, Chris. See you next time. Thank you. Bye, Lana. Bye. To everyone else, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. If you're on iTunes, we would love it if you gave us a five-star review. You can say whatever you want about us. We welcome your questions, your comments, your snide remarks. But if you could attach them to a five-star review, that would be outstanding. The show notes will be at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com or at my accompanying article at Havoc Journal or wherever you're listening to this. Just scroll down and you'll see all the show notes referencing everything that we talked about during the episode. There will also be alibis for anything I may have misstated, anything that need more context, anything I – I don't know, any brain farts I had. Um, This, of course, is always – is available for our guests as well. Generally, nobody takes me up on it because I'm the only one that really messes up to the degree that I need to write something about it after the fact. But if there is anything like that in this episode, those will be next to the show notes at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com, on my article at Havoc Journal, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. Savage Wonder is a podcast about warriors and artists. It's produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. If you want to hear one-on-one long-form interviews with veterans who are artists, please consider adding adding the Savage Wonder podcast to your queue. You can always find it at savagewonder.podbean.com. Again, that's savagewonder.podbean.com. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Charlie Faint, Liz DeGrave, and Lana Duffy. And we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos. And we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. Yeah, uh, it's funny. The lieutenant colonel actually uh, lives up uh, now in Cold Spring and oh, yeah. has been like, oh, you need to come up and uh, 
uh, go hiking before the weather gets too crappy. Um, so now that like, I have I'm going a, to Antarctica a, anyway, so it doesn't matter. So, yeah, yeah, I was like, dude, like, like really? Please. <laughs> what are you What are you gonna do? Make me train for this? <laughs> <laughs> 